Hey everyone, welcome to Asian Tech Leaders, the podcast where we interview some of the most interesting and inspiring Asian CEOs, entrepreneurs, and thinkers. I'm your host, Justin Pang, and I'm on a mission to share the stories of Asian tech leaders to help guide your personal and professional life. Thanks so much for joining me, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. Vivian Shen is the CEO and co-founder of Juni Learning, an education platform that helps connect kids to expert mentors to help empower them and learn topics like coding, storytelling, and investing. Prior to starting Juni Learning, Vivian had a variety of experience, including being a software engineer at Google, consultant at McKinsey & Company, and being a product leader at a startup called Operator. Vivian has been featured in Forbes 30 Under 30, Fast Company, TechCrunch, and Fortune Magazine. Vivian earned her undergrad degree from Stanford University, where she studied computer science. In this episode, you'll learn more about why Vivian left prestigious and well-paying jobs at Google and McKinsey to work at startups, how Vivian made a career pivot from politics to technology, and how Vivian's past experiences culminated into the genesis of her creating Juni Learning. You can follow Vivian more on Twitter at Vivian M. Shen, and learn more about Juni at junilearning.com. Hope you enjoyed this episode, and let's get started. Hey, Vivian, how are you doing? I am doing really well, Justin. It's great to be here. Thank you for joining the podcast. I'm so excited to, um, to have this conversation with you. And I first need to give a shout out and say that you are such an amazing and inspiring Twitter follower. Uh, follow, pardon me. So if anybody's on Twitter and wants some motivational and also some uh, real good real talk, follow uh, Vivian at Vivian M. Shen on Twitter. And I actually wanted to start the first question with with one of your tweets, which I, I thought was uh, really inspiring, but also really resonating for me as uh, an Asian, which is around uh, the topic of raising future entrepreneurs. So uh, the tweet and Sorry if I'm not capturing it perfectly, says teach your kids to stick it out. What kid doesn't want to quit a sport? There was nothing I wanted more than to quit badminton. <laughs> Asian stereotype, right? But yeah. nothing more than you wanted to do when you were a kid, but quit badminton, but your mom didn't let you. And as you got better, you got more confident and you loved it. And the same can be said about growing a company. And thought we could maybe start off um, just having some more color to the tweet about what was your um you know your love maybe hate relationship with badminton and like could you share a little bit more behind that yeah i mean i i think like many of us who have grown up in asian households there is this belief that you know you have to be very well rounded and there are sort of different um verticals on which you you know you have to <laughs> to i think uh, at least try different things and then that try ends up turning into maybe a five to ten year commitment depending on how long your parents can, can push you to do that so yes um you know for me I, I don't know for you what what your kind of suite of after school activities was but for me it was like chinese school every saturday uh, yep, same. <laughs> I had to do a sport, uh, which, you know, they let me choose which sport, but it had to be consistent. And so I did badminton. 
um, had to do piano for a while. And then when I wanted yes. to quit piano, I had to do choir. So some kind of music thing and then an art <laughs> thing. So I did painting. So it was very kind of like every box had to be checked. And then of yeah. course you had to still get your good grades in school and, and all of that jazz. So uh, that was definitely kind of a classic, I, I think experience that I've heard from a lot of folks. And for me, I had always just, um, and, and, and for some more context as well, I have an older sister who is two years older, which as well um, in a lot of families ends up being kind of this comparison between you and your sister. And usually the older sibling is very, um, they follow the path and they follow what they're supposed to do. And it always felt to me like growing up, my sister was just better than me at everything by, you know, <laughs> two years. And so, um, and I was always kind of like my sister's sister by the time the teachers yeah. met me. And uh, in particular, my sister was always sportier than I was. So with badminton in particular, I was like, I'm just never going to get that good at this. And it's pretty fun when you play in your backyard, but it's pretty intense when your coach is making you do wind sprints for 30 minutes before you <laughs> even get to play badminton. And so I really wanted to quit. And my mom was basically, she wouldn't hear of it and still dropped me off every single week at badminton. And sort of once I got fat past a certain point and started winning a few matches then it kind of snowballed and you're you know the more validation that you get as well the better that you get the easier it is to get to that advanced level and so i started seeing that basically i still really needed that initial momentum um but once i was past that point and all obviously in hindsight i think my parents knew what they were doing but at the time when you're a beginner that's like the last thing you want to be doing is right. being forced to do something that you're really bad at and you don't really see the, the end of the tunnel on. Yeah, great story. And like as a parent to two young kids, my kids are four and five, I think about that. You know, they're not in any like uh, after school programs yet, but like the good tiger dad I aspire to be, I want to do <laughs> uh, piano, kumon, swimming. <laughs> yeah. and, let, and let's see how that plays out. But, you know, that that's the thing I think too. I'm like, on the one hand, I also want to I want to listen to my kid. If they they're not happy, I don't want to force them. But on the other hand, and to your tweet's point, um, it builds character. And like once you're able to kind of break through in the to to the next stratosphere, like it builds that confidence to to see how much you've you've grown and developed over that time. So um, yeah, really love that advice. Yeah, it's definitely a balancing act because I think on the flip side, you know, if there is a point where somebody's been trying something for a number of years and maybe it's not their thing, yeah. you know, what is that break point and what other things could they explore as well? That's actually, uh, you know, not to talk, uh, not to transition into talking about Juni, but with Juni, that's always been the basis for what I think a, a student should have, which is yeah. that, you know, you get that momentum, <clears throat> that beginning kind of it's almost like the initial energy to get the inertia going on yeah. on your progress but at the same time it's not not everything is for everybody and so we're really about helping students discover these passions that they have and try a bunch of things out and then kind of like pick a few where they can really deep dive and and get further in um, I know in particular with computer science that's really tough for a lot of kids because they just don't get that intro and so by the time they do, it's it's too late to get that depth of knowledge in computer science. So um, that's why you know discovery at an early age is very important. But then obviously, kind of being consistent as well uh, is definitely key. Yeah, yeah, and we're definitely going to spend time talking about Genie, but it is like that trade-off between like explore versus exploit, and like 
I feel like at yeah. different times in one's life and their career and personal life, like skill building, it's always that trade off, right? Of like going broad and then at some point yeah. maybe going narrow, right? So yeah, I'm yeah. really glad that you stuck with badminton and kudos to all the parents out there who also kind of give the kids the extra nudge to stick with it um, yes. and learn yeah. from that. Um, <laughs> so I was also wondering, you know, if you could share a little bit more about your background, right? It sounds like, you know, similar to me and like a lot of the, you know, typical Asian, American, Asian, Canadian experience, like you had extracurriculars and you had academics. Um, can you talk a little bit more about what like your parents were like and just like some of the philosophies or lessons or themes that you got out of your childhood? Yeah, um, so my my parents were some of the first people to be able to leave China after the Cultural Revolution. Uh, they came to the US to study uh, my my mom did her um, master's and then my dad did his master's and PhD um, at Stanford. And so uh, it was, you know, they were the kind of people who grew up eating one egg a year and porridge for the rest of the year. And education was kind of like the way out of the country mm -hmm. um, at the time. I think my dad had to test into being, you know, top 300 in the whole country in physics to, to get, get here. And so... Um, and my dad is actually a professor at Stanford now, which I, I think is why education is so rooted in, you know, what what I do and and why um, I ended up working on Juni. And, uh, you know, that obviously translated when I was growing up into a lot of focus on academics and a lot of this belief that doing well in school translated into opportunities for you down the line. Mm -hmm. I think in hindsight, all of the activities that I did outside of the classroom ended up being more important for me in my career. So for example, when I was in high school, you know, I actually did a lot of, uh, spent a lot of time doing nonprofit work. And so mm. I led a club and, you know, at a, at a state level and things like that as well to, um, you know, raise money for different causes. And that ended up helping me a lot more with things like public speaking, sending emails, uh, co communicating, networking with with different people, that kind of thing, um, which I found to be much more helpful down the line. But growing up, it was much more about, okay, is this report card looking how it's supposed to look <laughs> at, at the end of every quarter? Um, and so that that ended up, you know, influencing me a lot in kind of needing to tick all the boxes, but maybe there was something missing that actually made it useful for me. Um, and, and I, uh, especially kind of once I got to college, I realized that it was so much more about getting job experience or getting like real hands-on mm -hmm. time to work with somebody who had been doing this for a while and try out a bunch of different things. So I joined like every club that I possibly could, uh, did every kind of side internship that I could as well. And I, I feel like that breadth ended up being so much more important and, just because my my parents had so much of an academic background that was um that wasn't emphasized as much when I was growing up is that there's there's kind of like this business or entrepreneurship path that you could also take um and so uh you know after college yeah I was in software engineering uh, but then transitioned into consulting and kind of trying to get more understanding of of how let's call it the private sector works or how mm -hmm. um like strategy and all these other kinds of things as well. Um, and that ended up being the springboard for me to, uh, you know, start Juni. So I, it all comes together because yeah. it, it was very important. I think that my parents had such an emphasis on that. Cause I do, I do believe 
I, I know a lot of people talk about math like it's this abstract concept, but so much of what you do in business is basically math as well. Yeah. Like you, you know, you don't necessarily need to know geometry, but sort of foundational pieces. Um, and so all of it kind of ladders up from from a foundation, but um, at the time, you know, it's it feels very disconnected. I think for sure. Yeah, no, that resonates with me too because I feel like growing up, it was there's. Our schedules were packed, right? Monday to Friday, yeah. we had school. Saturday, Chinese school. Sunday, went to Japanese <laughs> school. I had a, so, you know, one of the big things, like I look back at my childhood and I think about for my kids is um, like being able to, num number one, have the space to like learn more about myself. What did I care about? What was I curious about? And then secondly, having the time to explore that. Do you feel like you had that opportunity earlier in your life to just like explore and like, um, follow your curiosity or were you so busy with like all these activities that your parents had lined up that you didn't really get a chance to do that until maybe college or even after college? That's a really good question. Um, I, I feel like I did, but I think my parents, whether on purpose or not, were actually pretty, pretty good at kind of like seeding a bunch of different things for me to mm. get excited about and then letting me pick and I, I think kids are also, they have very different personalities, right? Like some kids do need a little bit more of the push. Some kids, like they will just go down a rabbit hole of whatever they're interested in. Um, and I, I, my, and on a relative scale, my parents were also less opinionated about what my thing had to be. I just, I, I could try a bunch of different things, but as long as I committed to something, they were relatively open to it. Now, it's not like I decided I was going to be you know, number one in League of Legends or whatever <laughs> it, it, uh, as my extracurricular, but um, they were quite open. And so um, my mom was actually the one who signed me up for this uh, community service um, kind of after school program when I was in middle school. And that nonprofit that I worked with, I actually stayed with them for like six years through um, through high school as well. And so I, I felt like I had a couple places where I knew to look for what I wanted to do. Uh, but I wasn't one of those kids who, you know, plumbed the depths of the internet myself to go find, like, learn how to program, for example. That's a, a totally different kind of experience. So I, I didn't get that totally free exploration, but I also don't think that works for, for every student. Mm -hmm. A lot of the times they need a kind of like safe introduction into something where somebody gets them that first leg up um, and then they, they feel those initial wins and they can get going. So um, I'm, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty as well, but I'm I'm glad that I got some more structured introductions to different things before you know um, venturing out on my own. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then you decided to study computer science at Stanford. How did you decide what to um, do your major in? Was that a pretty clear cut decision for you? No, actually, uh, when actually in high school, randomly, I was I was voted in the superlatives as most likely to become president, and I thought that I would major in, I would double major in history and political science at Stanford. And uh, my freshman year, I happened to basically tag along with some friends from my dorm to the intro computer science lecture. Uh, so it was kind of on accident. I just, you know, didn't have anything else to do. And in those early <laughs> days, you, you just want to hang out with your friends, right? Yeah. So, um, so I took a grad level poli-sci class, grad level history class, and then the intro to computer science class, my freshman fall quarter of, <laughs> of college. And the computer science one was the best. And it was 
super fun. Um, I think Stanford has a really great intro program where they kind of ease you into it. They get you really excited about what the possibilities are and uh, make it very hands-on and immediately project-based for you to just start seeing what what is out there. Uh, they kind of hit you over the head with the really intense, you know, systems project and things like that in in another six months after that. But when you're first starting out, it's 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 such a tangible major for a lot of people. And in mm-hmm. in the grad class, what was really exciting about that is it was like 20 people and you just debated books all day, but it felt like you couldn't necessarily apply that into mm-hmm. a career versus computer science. The lecture was like 500 people every time. Yeah. I never talked to the professor one-on-one, but it felt like you could use that as a foundation for other mm. things. In hindsight, obviously, I think the poli sci class teaches you a lot more about soft skills that you need. It's critical thinking. There, there is a lot there, but at the time, you know, it, and it helped um, at the time that you know the CS course could always get really cool speakers to come in. So I think they had like Mark Zuckerberg come in and and a couple of different people. So that definitely influences you when you're Very you know just starting out yeah so was that a pivotal point in your career because like it sounds like you had this hypothesis when you went into college of like okay i want to go the political type of route in terms of like a career well but after being part of the cs community at stanford that was a, a tipping point of like you kind of changing what you thought you wanted to do sorry yeah definitely yeah. um and my my dad is a experimental physicist. Mm-hmm. And so he had actually never really forced me to do STEM. Like, you know, you had to get good grades in math, but that yeah. he was not one of those parents who was like, you have to be a software engineer, a lawyer or an engineer <laughs> or, a, or a doctor. Um, and so I was left to choose on my own. And yeah, that was a, a really big choice for me then um, because it, <sighs> you know, I, I think it changed a lot of my identity because I used to think of myself as very, uh, it, it was sort of like how you communicate, how you speak is mm. is the most important thing about yourself. But then that was the transition to think, okay, actually being technical is a big part of what I want to be and being able to, you know, speak uh, a different language almost than what I was doing before uh, was, yeah, really a big turning point for me. Yeah, really neat. And then on that, like I also saw that you did a minor in creative writing. So like you're kind of balancing the left brain work with the right brain. How did you kind of uh, decide to, you know, do your minor in creative writing? It wasn't just a course, right? You obviously took successive courses. And um, how do you find like you use those skills today or at least in like your the last few years of your professional life? Oh, yeah. I mean, in some ways, I find that that's so much more important to the work that I do now. You know, again, it's it's like... um, it's like, you know, I am not Steve Jobs, but it's like Steve Jobs taking that one calligraphy course in college and it right, right. coming out in the typography so many years later. Um, and that that to me is how I feel about creative writing, because uh, for the first two and a half years or so of college, I was so I was just so dialed into doing all of my computer science core uh, that I didn't really do very much else academically. And I felt starved for, you know, some of the more creative aspects that um, I felt like I had when I was studying more just pure humanities. 
And so um, Stanford, actually, the creative writing program there is the best in the country. And if, you know, you, uh, it was always one of those classes that everybody says you should take before you graduate is the intro to creative writing course. Um, mm. And so I took it kind of to re reopen that part of my mind. Um, and it was just, it was awesome. It was a complete change from my computer science classes. Again, like those lectures were so big, quite impersonal as well. Um, but with creative writing, everybody brings their piece. They workshop it with each other. The section is like 15 people. And so it was, um, it's just a totally different experience again. Um, and then that's why, uh, you know, in order to go abroad, actually, as well, it's very hard to go abroad uh, to study abroad as a as an engineering major. And so, when I went abroad, I did um, I focused on creative writing for that quarter, and that's when I just I did no engineering work, just classic like hung out by the river in Oxford, reading and <laughs> writing, and it was it was everything that I I thought it would be, uh, you know, and that was a really incredible experience. What, so like that's, for those who haven't done like a creative writing class, like what are, how is it, how is the course, like how is a course or even like the, the work structured? Is it quite, um, really quite. Open-ended. Quite, yeah, open-ended, <laughs> providing yeah. a kind of a thought starter, like a prompt question, and then really letting your imagination run wild. Or like, if you could simplify like kind of the mechanics of, of the yeah. course and how creative writing is taught, that'd be really interesting to hear. Yeah, and and the caveat is it definitely differs between teachers and, and schools, right. obviously. Um, for us, it, it would typically be you do a reading of some kind. Um, usually, a lot of the creative writing courses that I was in, it was short story based. Um, I didn't do a ton of poetry or, or novel based ones. Um, so you'd read like Flannery O'Connor and all of these really amazing authors of, of short stories. And then you would usually focus in on some sort of technique that they use or some sort of um, even like topic focus area that they had, like a personal narrative or like a research-based one where they went to a different country and learned about a different cultures, things like that. And then you'd kind of have a focus area for the week or you know longer. And then you would write your own pieces based on that as well. And then the workshop that you would do with the other students was usually less of a commentary on the content of the piece, but more like how you structured it. Was it surprising to somebody when this happened mm -hmm. or did you feel like you had enough understanding of this character, et cetera? Um, and so uh, that was actually a lot of fun. So when I, when I did the Oxford program in, in Oxford, um, they actually have every student work one-on-one -on -one with a professor, which is, again, sort of how Judy started as well, but um, we did this one-on-one -on -one tutorial where they would just assign readings and then you would discuss your uh, writing with that one professor. And so that was just like the most accelerated experience that I had actually as well, because they, you know, usually the professors that they have for that are, are folks who have written novels and, you know, their knowledge base is just so large. Um, that was a really amazing experience. So, um, you know, I, I, I think that kind of small group or one-on-one -on -one experience really colored what we ended up doing with Jimmy. Yeah, and it's, ama it's, a, it's amazing to your point, it's like how you can connect the dots backwards, right? But not looking yeah. for it. And at the time you're probably like, well, this is cool, creative writing. How, how is this gonna fit into, you know, what I end up doing in the future? But obviously it's been a, a big part to, yeah. um, the inception of Junie and also probably just like 
who you are as a leader for the organization, right? So, 100%, yeah. Um, next, I want to kind of shift gears more into like, you know, the career and you went to Google right after undergrad um, and then you went to McKinsey. So, you know, blue chip companies, Asian parents, probably super proud telling all the aunties <laughs> and uncles about this. What's most interesting to me is actually the pivot, right? When you decided to, let's say, you know, leave McKinsey and go to operator. Um, what was kind of going through your mind at that decision point? And um, was that an easy decision for you? Because I feel like for one who's achieved a lot earlier in life, like going to great schools, working at these blue chip companies, like going a little bit off the beaten path can be a bit nerve wracking. So just curious to know if you could share more about how you were thinking and feeling at the time. Yeah, it was definitely a process. Um, you know, when I was at Google, everybody has heard of Google and my grandma in Shanghai has heard of Google <laughs> and she has heard that you get free food every day, etc. And right. that was very confusing to her that why anyone would leave that. Um, and so each, each step that I took was into something that was a little more obscure, but um, you know, I wouldn't call McKinsey obscure, but my family in China would have no idea what, what that was. Um, and I, I sort of had to, I had to explain it like, oh, these are all of the cool people who have been at McKinsey. And, you know, there's like Sheryl Sandberg and all these people, mom, dad, don't you want to be like, don't you want yeah. me to be like them? And then that was <laughs> a lot different. Um, and sort of same with the startup thing as well. Yeah. The side note, it, it helped that my role at the startup was as a product manager. And so just having manager in the title was oh, right. a, a change, but uh, that, that, <laughs> I digress on that. Um, I, I do think there, there was a lot of really good work done by folks over the last, you know, now it's like 20 to 30 years to make startups a lot more palatable and, and yeah. less risky feeling. Um, and so when I left, I think my parents had already understood that a startup was, was less risky than you know, it, it used to be back in the day, but at, at the same time, you know, the startup that I was at ended up folding. And uh, so, you know, there's obviously risk in there, but um, they, they did understand that I was taking on an opportunity where I got more ownership of my work and got to be in work streams and, and conversations that I wasn't in before when I was in consulting. Cause it's just such a consulting is you can get very far fast but it is still a track. Like there was no way to really jump. Um, yeah. And so the, you know, going to a startup was more the risk of, Hey, the startup might fail, but I'll learn a lot more and that'll be a better spring point for me into my next thing. If that ends up happening um, versus, you know, if you are in consulting or Google, you're more of like, you're, you're, you're on that path, which is also a very good path, but not one that, that I kind of wanted to go down. I, and so it's, um, that was a lot easier to explain to them at, at the time. But yeah, I think if this had been, you know, especially like 2001 or something like that, that probably wouldn't have been a very easy conversation to have. But at this point, um, they kind of understood. And then what starting my starting Juni was definitely risky. Um, mm. I, I, again, you know, from an optics perspective, founding your own thing still sounds good to to parents but i needed validation pretty quickly for myself as well and so um we you know got into y combinator i think like six months after i officially incorporated the company so that definitely helped 
make me feel like we were on some kind of a path. Um, but yeah, like to your point, I think a lot of growing up Asian means that you are used to grabbing the next ring yeah. and losing that path is, is very scary for, for people. Um, and that was definitely the case for me. Like those, that time period between when I started the company and when we got into YC, it was like, does anybody even know who we are? When I go to a party and I say that I founded this thing, nobody cares, nobody knows. And that's such a dumb way to think about success, but it's, it's just human to do that. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, that was, uh, they were not concerned to me. My parents are not the type who, you know, yell at me until I do what, what they want. But I definitely think behind closed doors, they're like, okay, is she just looking for a six month break from from working <laughs> yeah. uh, or what, what's going on here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, thank you for sharing that. And I think the other factor too, which is like really embedded in whether it's an Asian mentality or immigrant mentality is like the concept of money, right? And yeah. I'm curious to know like to what degree did money ever factor into your successive career decisions? Because working in a place like a Google, for example, um, generally people are walking away from stuff on the table, right? To pursue their next yeah. adventure. Um, did that factor at all to you in, in your decision? Or is that just like not a, like, yeah, how, how did you think about that? Because I do feel like that's a, a real um, consideration for some folks who are trying to figure out what to do next. Oh, yeah. I mean, 100%. My, my parents were not the type, you know, I think a lot of Asian parents in particular want their kids to have job security. And yeah. they they want them to work in jobs where, you know, you can confidently make six to seven figures a year by the time you're 30 to 35. Um, and I, I suppose I had checked that box when I majored in computer science. Like my, my pitch to them was also that in the worst case scenario, I could go back to go be an engineer. <laughs> so, you know, that, that was your safety thing. net. Um, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think that maybe this isn't, this isn't the right word to use, I suppose, but there was something about influence and power that was more important to me that I could yeah. change a lot of people's lives with what I was doing. And I, I think my, I was very lucky in that my parents understood that and the, the kind of scale that I wanted to do that at was was different than being a doctor who saves a lot of individual lives and their work is incredibly different from mine. Uh, but I just, I knew that if I stayed as a software engineer at Google, the impact that I would have would be very different than if I founded a company like Juni. And uh, so, yeah, there's definitely a lot that I left on the table in, in both worlds, right? Like there's folks in my peer group who are still in McKinsey, who are at partner level, things like that. But never regretted it. Like I don't, I, I think that the work that I do now is, is in hindsight, obviously so much more rewarding. And I've also learned a lot more. So um, yeah. that's, yeah, it, it, it's a different choice for different people. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, yeah. But I think that, that for me, like kind of indicates like at the time you made that, this, those decisions for yourself, like you had a very, or a much clearer sense of who you were and like how you define success than you know, somebody who might not be as self-aware, right? And I think, you know, for me personally, earlier in my career, when I didn't know really what I cared about or what I really wanted to do, it's easy to just lean on those like external markers of success, bigger name, bigger title, bigger, more money. And that's like, I think the default, yeah. but um, the more you know yourself and how you measure success and like what really matters to you, it makes it 
maybe easier in some ways to make those decisions. So yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, and then just like kind of kind of like switching gears to Juni. Um, again, I kind of like teased this earlier, but I love how the idea generated from the intersection of a few of your past experiences. Right. You talked about the one-to-one -one mentorship um, that you got when you're at Stanford at, at Oxford, pardon me, and then you worked abroad in China as well uh, when you're an operator. Uh, as well as obviously your undergrad experience at Stanford. Could you just share a little bit more about like the uh, origin genesis story of like when the light bulb, if there was like a proverbial light bulb moment when that went off for you of like, hey, this is actually what I want to to work on and like see if it works. Like what was that thought process like? Yeah, I mean, uh, I suppose there were a lot of little light bulbs and then one bigger <laughs> light bulb. Uh, and, you know, our, our vision at Juni is to, make sure that every kid is ready for the real world and they get to learn things at any age where, you know, typically we reserve them for college. Uh, and, you know, computer science was definitely one of the places where we started at. And uh, I, I, I think there were so many different things in my life that ended up stacking up into the experience and the vision that we, we had. You know, to, to your point, um, instruction is really key. Like there are a couple teachers in your life who stick with you forever. I don't know if you saw this Adele one, one um, I think it was like Adele's concert. Oh, right, right. Brought, her teacher yeah. is in the audience, right? Yeah. Yeah. And she brought her teacher. It was just so incredible because I think there's some people who come in and out of your life like that, who just completely change the way you think about yourself and, and the world. And so that kind of that instructor relationship is so important to what we do. And that's why when we hire instructors, it's so much about, hey, is this somebody who can inspire a kid to pursue something that they might not have thought they were good enough to do before or whatever the case is. Um, and then there's kind of like this project-based piece as well, um, obviously from computer science and even like creative writing, so much of the, the dopamine hit that you get is by completing a project in that and having something tangible where you can share it to people and add it to a portfolio and feel like it's really your own. I think people are sort of magpie-like in, in, that, in that regard where you always wanna be um, collecting or building things. And that was really important for us as well as, um, you know, lecture-based learning doesn't really work for folks. Like you can use that for very base level understanding, but in order to learn something, you really have to do it. And so that was another core pillar of, of what we did. And then from a subject basis as well, so much of what I see kids learning in school today is really not productive or they're just not connecting it to how it is productive, right? And so- mm like we were talking about with math, I think a lot of kids are like, why do I have to learn math? It just seems like disconnected. But then once you connect it to, hey, this is how, you know, uh, economies work in video games. Like if you want to build a new town, you need to have enough material for it or have enough gold for it, whatever the case is. And then they start understanding things like that and how, you know, supply and demand side economics works and like all these things that you learn. But at the end of the day, it's really applicable to something that's interesting to them and that they can apply later on in life. So those are some of the pillars for why we do what we do. And um, yeah, it's all, you know, in hindsight, when you look back, you're like, oh, yeah, it's so clear. But at the time, you you wouldn't know at all. Um, and so I, I definitely think all of it and I, I always am learning to um, what what else should make the experience better with Juni? And um, that's, you know, going to be a constant process. 
Yeah, and I mean, even just in my own research of the platform, my kids are too young to use it, I think. I think the early stage is seven, is that right? Uh, yes, that is yeah. right. We, we have had some very precocious five and six-year-olds, but I would say from like a being able to sit in a chair for a concentrated period True. of time basis, that, that's a little tougher. So yeah, seven is, is typically that. Yeah, but I, I think, you know, the couple of things that obviously stand out, number one, the one-to-one one-to-one learning and like as you're talking about the impact that one amazing teacher compared to whatever yeah. average or like you know your your normal teacher uh, can make on a kid I remember the names of the two to three teachers that made a huge difference in my my own confidence level in what I could do uh huge second the project-based curriculum which you mentioned um and having like kind of these artifacts that you can share with other people once you kind of com complete uh, your work is really helpful. And then the third thing that I really loved is the focus on investing in entrepreneurship, right? Because like, <laughs> yeah. that isn't really a course that is taught in your traditional education system. And it's, it's really the foundation for uh, obviously like economic freedom and just like being able to uh, kind of manage oneself and one finances when they're an adult. And then the other course, which I love is storytelling. And you kind of yeah. mentioned in the website, like, whether you're telling a story of a nonprofit or telling the story about yourself as a candidate to get a new job, that is just such an essential skill that I don't think until I was a, you know, 35 year old, just a couple of years ago, that I was like, this is like probably in addition to the hard sciences and math, like the most important skill that you needed to function in society as yeah. an adult. And like it all kind of loops back to, uh the sapiens book right which is like we are a storytelling species like this is the thing that actually makes our species so um amazing in our ability to coordinate and like uh inspire people so i really yeah. love like how storytelling is like a very explicit um pillar to, to what you teach so just wanted to share that feedback yeah i mean it's definitely a bit biased from my own you know various collections of learnings that i have but yeah from you know, for when we we're talking about creative writing, like storytelling is so important to communicating with, with other people, whether in a big group or yeah, one on one. It's um yeah, it's it's definitely it's definitely incredible yeah. to see some of the projects we get out of yeah. that too. And I feel like especially for like, you know, the stereotypical Asian upbringing, like of which mine was one of, it's usually over indexed on the hard sciences, right? Do like the hardcore yeah. sciences, do math, okay, all everything else. That's that's nice, but not essential to your success as an adult. Um, but yeah. I feel like very much now, like that's you need to balance out the the left and the right brains. So yeah, um, you know what's really interesting about that too is that most Chinese or most Asian parents that I meet are actually very well versed in mm. uh, literature, like specifically Chinese literature. Like uh, my dad. Yeah you know, can recite all of these proverbs because I think they were, we were forced to memorize them. And he's <laughs> so eloquent as well. And, um, you know, I, I think sometimes they, they discount that because it, it's just, it's hard to tell how that directly translates into a successful career, but it's yeah. all there. And, and I think sometimes it's taken for granted because they, they already had that. My dad has a proverb for everything that happens in, in life. So, um, right. you know. Confucius said. Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. <laughs> That's true. No, that's actually true. Like a lot of the like Confucian, like philosophy or just like literature and art is actually really embedded in just like the mindset of 
I think our parents generation so yeah they are they are artistic they just don't uh <laughs> wear it on their sleeves maybe yeah exactly very cool um and just a couple more questions uh before we wrap up um yeah. number one is you know you've made this kind of transition from bigger you know more established company like google or mckinsey to more of the startup space um what advice do you have for people who aren't sure if you know the startup world is for them any like prompt questions or uh suggestions that you you think folks should should really think about before uh making such a move um good question a lot of people ask me when i knew i was ready or you know and i think you never know it's kind of like getting married or having a kid i suppose it's, it's yeah. probably like harder than you yeah you know it's, it's harder than you thought it was going to be it's more rewarding as well and um you it's kind of just like when you decide to make the commitment yeah and uh i think that it's very personal for everybody mm. i think there was like a lot of tactical things that other you know that you had to think through like are you going to be okay if you aren't earning money for an indefinite time period or do you need to raise money before you can start the startup etc and like how would you go about that things like that i think are very real considerations for for folks to have as well um and also it it does have to just be something that you're like yes i would wake up every day and be able to self-direct myself to work mm. because it's very hard to suddenly lose the structure of having you know a performance review every six months and a manager and all this stuff and being a self-organizing autonomous unit is um is very tough and so i i typically i th i think if in hindsight what i would do is for folks to try to do kind of like a side project or something and see if that resonates with them like if they're able to stick to a schedule to do all of the um logistics of of working autonomously and then yeah. see how that goes um and then obviously having a idea or project that you're really passionate about and being able to kind of test that a little bit like with Juni, um i just went to a bunch of middle schools and talked to parents and asked them if they would buy a product like Juni that mm. did not currently exist um and then i started saying like i was going to teach these classes would they want to sign up with me and that sort of early validation definitely helped get more momentum for for what i was doing uh, versus, you know, I think it's it's very hard to in a vacuum without talking to users, create something that people would actually want. So I definitely recommend, you know, doing that as well. Yeah. Thank you. And I also shout out again to your Twitter feed. You have so much good uh, advice in there. And like the two that I, I pulled out are, you know, one of the non-negotiable qualities in a founder, hunger, having the chip on your shoulder. Can you share a little bit more about your chip, if you haven't touched on it uh, yet, of like, you know, what is it um, that kind of drives you? And it, you also, you said chip on the shoulder or like the thirst to prove yourself or, you know, your company in the world, like which which uh, is a motivating factor for you, if you could share a little bit more about that. Yeah, I mean, I think to to bring it back to, you know, being from an Asian family, like all of us are, immigrants we we have so much that we're trying to prove as well um and for me it's always been yeah like is there is there a huge company that could be built by an asian female founder and you know that kind of thing as well but at the same time 
I think just knowing from my own education experience what's missing was really important for me when 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 I was building Juni. And so I think some of the some of the chip on my shoulder is like they I I think that you always want to make your family proud. You also always want to build something that when when people tell you it can't be done, you know, part of being a founder is saying, well, I'm going to prove you wrong. Because if you just listen to people who tell you it can't be done, no company would ever get started. So, so did you get a lot of that feedback actually, like earlier on of like getting told no a lot or, you know, having your idea? Yeah, dismissed? I mean, yeah. for sure. I like, I'm definitely privileged in that, you know, I go just going to Stanford means that you, you get a lot more credit than maybe somebody who, who doesn't have that kind of yeah. uh, spring springboard, but uh, yeah, I mean, every every great company that you see out there today has also been told no a million and a half times. And so um, I think it's such a myth that there's like this perfect coasting path that people can take and just grab one thing after the other. And so, um, yeah, like I, I think everybody faces so much rejection before they can see any amount of success. And I was definitely, yeah, like getting you know, after Y Combinator, still after like every fundraising round, you're always going to get people who question why you did this decision or why you made that mistake. And is this market really big, whatever, whatever. And you kind of, you have to take their feedback, obviously, but you also have to throw it away to a certain extent. And yeah, that was definitely, that's always the case. Yeah. Which again, referring to another one of your tweets, which is uh, <laughs> the importance of optimism, right? And like, that seems to be a key key theme to like you know almost wielding your idea and vision into the world. So yeah. um, awesome to see that, and also just you know the work that you're doing, uh, both obviously for kids and education, but also for the Asian American community. I want to thank you for that and acknowledge all of the work that you're doing, and truly believe that if you can't see it, you can't be it. But you've really served as an amazing role model. So thanks so much for joining today, Vivian. Um, recommend people follow you on Twitter, right? Vivian M. Shen and check out junilearning.com. Any final words you want to kind of uh, share with us before we wrap up? No, I mean, it's, it's incredible that this podcast exists and that there are, you know, Asian leaders who are coming up in the world. And, and I think it's been such a huge couple years and year for us as well on representation so it's just incredible to to see all this and thank you for the work that you do justin and you know i'm i'm very excited for for the future i know there's still a lot to that we we have to overcome but um i'm very excited about yeah yeah i feel like every year you know there's always um so many accomplishments we can put a feather in our cap as like a community the most yeah. recent one which i will mention is shang chi so i'm just yes. finishing watching that <laughs> on disney plus and simu simu liu is a fellow canadian as well so we will claim him um as a asian canadian but uh, oh yeah 100 yeah. percent. i mean i'm i i don't know if you're part of the subtle asian traits facebook yes, group yeah, yeah uh yeah all i see are are simu memes on there but yeah aquafina oh yeah it's, it's our time <laughs> Thank yeah. you so much, Vivian. Really appreciate it and loved all the uh, words of wisdom you shared. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Asian Tech Leaders. If you enjoyed the podcast, please share it with your family and friends. Leave me a review on iTunes. 
or drop me a note on our website, asiantechleaders.com. I really appreciate having each of you as a listener and sharing your valuable time with me. Be well, stay healthy, and follow your heart. See you soon.